for passage, but also grace for reading the epistle. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Let us pray together. Lord, I pray that in the written word and through the spoken word, we may this morning experience the living word, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, three weeks into our Lenten journey today, our gospel passage is a difficult reading that brings us face to face with some uncomfortable aspects of the life and the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our assumption of Jesus Christ is overturned as we hear about him overturning tables in a rage of anger in the temple. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, got angry. What's going on here? Well, thinking about this, I remember the made-up story I had from a wise storyteller when I was in Ghana in January. He told the story of a young mosquito that went out for her first flight. She came back in the morning all excited and said to her mommy, Mommy, guess what? As I was flying, I was so good that people were clapping for me. <laughs> her mom looked at her and smiled and said, you are lucky. They were not clapping for you. They were trying to get rid of you. Talking to us about malaria prevention, the storyteller said, mosquitoes are God's creation, and they are part of the ecosystem. They've got a part to play in that system, but we don't want them on our bodies because the bite from a mosquito can cause malaria, and malaria is one of the leading cause of death in sub-Saharan Africa. And so even though mosquitoes have got their role to play, we don't want them on our bodies. In the same way, the birds, the animals, the money changers were needed in the temple for temple worship. But we don't want them in the outer court of the temple prison, preventing people from coming into the temple to offer worship to God. However, in this passage, difficult passage, we see that God's house had been turned into a place of marketing rather than a place of worship and a place of prayer. That's what got Jesus into what we label as righteous indignation. Angry enough to use a whip to cleanse the temple, to get rid of all the mess in the temple. This morning I ask you the question, what makes you angry? Well, I know we are Methodists, we don't get angry, which is a good sign. But I don't want you to get all spiritual with me this morning and say, Oh, Lansford, I can't think of anything. Yes, you can. Anger is one of the many emotions that God, the Creator, included in our DNA. And it can be used positively. Henry Beecher is an American clergyman in the 18th century known for his support for the abolition of slavery. Talking about righteous anger... He said, a person who does not know how to be angry, shaken in their heart with indignation over things evil, is either a fungus or a heartless person. Jesus got angry 
we can get angry too. But only about the things that make God angry. And this covers a range of things, including injustice, discrimination, exploitation, inequality, corruption, and greed to the prevention of the expansion of the kingdom of God and the desecration of God's temple. What makes me angry? Well, I don't know about you, but for me, every time I see on the telescreen that little Palestinian girl in the Holy Land, covered in dust and in blood, standing on the rubbles of what left of our home crying. Every time I see that, it gets to me. Whenever I hear of a little child being molested, it gets to me. When we hear of helpless elderly person being murdered in their own homes, it gets to me. These images of evil always get me into righteous indignation, wanting to use my voice, wanting to use my influence to speak up against evil in our world. We were not created to live like this. Sin and wickedness brought us here. And we must overturn those tables of sin and wickedness and replace them with righteousness and love. Love for God, but love for our neighbors. Love for one another. This is the mission of the Messiah. And he has commissioned each and every one of us to be part and parcel of the people who will carry out this mission. So here we are this morning in the gospel passage. John the Beloved tells us that Jesus, who was at a wedding in Canaan, dancing, celebrating, enjoying, partying a little bit. So that tells you there is nothing wrong to party a little bit in a wedding. He was there at the wedding in Canaan. And you know what happened? He saved the day at that wedding. The wine went out and he turned water into wine, saving the day for the couple. But here is Jesus now. He has arrived in Jerusalem. He's turned up with his disciples to celebrate the ultimate freedom sacrifice known as the Passover, marking the liberation of Jews from slavery in Egypt. Jerusalem would have been a packed place with almost four times its population. But you know what was the problem on that day? That those people making the long journeys from around the shores of the Mediterranean it wasn't possible for some of them to bring the animals for sacrifice with them. Because the animals needed for sacrifice, they were supposed to meet certain standards. That means they were supposed to be without blemish. So to bring an animal all the way, imagine carrying your goats, your sheep, or your cow, four miles, five miles, 20 miles, 30 miles, and only to arrive in the temple... And Reverend Tony Meyer looks at it and says, no, this one is not fit for sacrifice. That would be a pain, isn't it? So you've got to carry that sheep back home. You've got to carry that goat back home. So they were very wise. Instead of doing all that, what they did, leave everything at home, and then they came to the temple, and when they got there, they buy an animal or a bird that is fit for sacrifice on arrival. But that's not wasn't only the challenge. The challenge for them as well was that when you get to the temple to pay the temple tax, worshippers would need what we call the shekel, a special temple coin, because the Greek and the Roman currencies with pagan inscriptions on them 
were not allowed in the temple. So there are a lot of obstacles to this worship before you get there to actually do something. And I remember when I arrived in Ghana, our first stop was to go to the bureau to change some pounds into CDs. Is it CDs? CDs. And I changed some, and I was almost a millionaire. I looked at myself, I said, ah, all of a sudden, I've been transformed. But by the time I got back to the UK, I realized how broke I was. Because <laughs> it was all gone. Yes, but they had to change their money to be able to worship. These conditions created business opportunity for the many, many people who were there, traders wanting to make money. There is nothing wrong with that. Jesus has got no problem with that. But you know where the problem was? The business were done in the wrong place, in the house of God. How dare you set up your stall to sell sheep and goats and cows in the house of God? The money changes and the priests were making so much money on this business that the focus was no longer on worshiping God. The outrage exchange rate and the high cost for the animals, the sacrifice, that becomes a barrier for the worshipers. Only those uh, who had extra resources were able to get everything in place to be able to offer that worship. Seeing this, Jesus, filled with righteous indignation, turned over the tables of the money changers. He released the sheep, the cattle. He chased the traders out, saying, take all these things out of here. Stop making my father's house into a marketplace. But when we see Jesus in this mood, banging things and tables around in righteous anger, driving the traders out. Perhaps we, like the audience on that day, we are rather surprised. We are even shocked. Especially for those who perhaps you are visiting the church maybe for the first time and then you come to hear me preaching about a Jesus who is kicking tables over. You might think twice. But before you do, Jesus was doing this so that he will open the door for all of us to have access to his Father. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, soft-spoken, kind, how could he be so angry and do what he did in the temple? Well, I believe he was angry and did what he did for at least two reasons. First of all, Jesus cleansed the temple to restore its purpose. The whole issue about this passage, if you read it within context, it's about restoration putting God's house in place where it needs to be so that it will serve the purpose for which it's established on earth. So restoration is at the heart of this passage. The people had lost the original sense of what the temple was for. They had turned it into a marketplace for the convenience of the rich and the powerful. There is no doubt no doubt at all, the religion of convenience is attractive to most people because it does not expect much from them. Do what you like. Live as you wish. As long as you pay the temple tax, as long as you have your animals for the sacrifice, you do the rituals, you are fine. Such religion is designed to entertain people and its focus is on selfish gain and self-gratification. A religion of convenience loses sight of our true purpose, which is to love God 
to love our brothers and our sisters. But above all, when Jesus went into the temple, he saw how this religion of convenience and this practice was destroying true worship and the purpose for which the temple was established. Friends, when we find ourselves in a situation where we no longer feel guilty, we no longer feel convicted, when we're doing those things that make God angry, it is a sign. It is a sign that we are sliding into this religion of convenience. It's an indication that it is time for us to repent, to examine our worship, examine our lives, and turn towards God for help. Jesus overturned the tables in the temple to signal an end to the corrupt sacrificial system, indicating that God has no delight in animal sacrifice. You know what is the true sacrifice he accepts? A broken spirit and a contrite heart. And that's what he wants from us this day, this Lent, to come to him with a broken spirit and a contrite heart and say, Lord, have mercy on me. And I've been part of the people who've installed all these things in your temple. I have installed all these things in my heart, Lord. These things distract me from seeing, from coming to you. Lord, grant me a broken heart and a contrite spirit that is able to connect with God. Because when you lose connection with God, is the most dangerous thing. You cease to grow. You begin to die spiritually. May today's message reconnect us again with that God who doesn't want our riches. He doesn't want all these things that we bring. All he wants from us is a broken spirit, a contrite heart. I would say, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. If you are to count my iniquity, I've got no chance. And that's the people God is looking for. Speeding up a little bit. The second reason I believe Jesus in his righteous anger cleansed the temple was that he wanted it to be an inclusive space for everyone. If restoration is at the heart of this passage, inclusion is the blood that flows in that reading. Justice for all people. Jesus wanted the temple to be an inclusive space for Jews as well as non-Jews. He wanted it to be a global Christian family where there is room for everyone. However, the areas in which the buying and the selling took place was at the court of the Gentiles. This was the only area that the Gentiles were able to gather and they were allowed to gather and worship and praise and meet with their God. But it has become crowded, messy, noisy, dirty, smelly, whatever you want to describe it, keeping all those animals there, it was no longer a fitting place to meet with God. Therefore, Jesus cleansed it to make room for the Gentiles, to make room for you, to make room for me. That at the cross of Jesus Christ, that is room for all of us. Don't stay behind. Stay connected because he loves you so much. Therefore, in our seeking to build an inclusive, justice-seeking, and a fair church, we ought to follow Jesus' examples. We are to be willing to overturn and to dismantle ungodly practices and prejudices in our community and to reveal a church community in which we can meet with God, the God who dwells within us, but also the God who dwells among us. But in doing all this, 
please, 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 I must say, we need to do it in love. A lot of love. More love. Because Jesus was driven by love. Jesus wasn't kicking tables and doing all this because he wanted to just show his power. He was driven by love. Love for the voiceless. Love for the excluded. Love for those who were always at the back burner. Jesus wanted to give them a voice. And so love drove him to create access for all of us to come to the throne of grace. That is why on that day when we get before God, when we all stand... When we all get to heaven, we're seeing what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and shout hallelujah. No one will have an excuse to say, well, I didn't make it because Lansford, Tony, and Ali didn't tell me. No. Jesus has made the access for you. All you can do today is to surrender to him. And call him into your heart. Every day you make a mistake, you go back to him and say, God, have mercy on me. You make a mistake again, you come and say, God, have mercy on me. You make another mistake, you come again. God, have mercy on me. That's what he wants from us. And I hope and pray today, as we listen to this difficult passage, as we hear it, we'll understand it in the light that Jesus made the access for us because of love and love and love and love. He came to welcome all people into God's family. And for this family, Jesus will eventually lay down his life. In this passage, Jesus speaks of his body as a living temple. When the leaders in the temple ask him, show us a sign. We want to see your ID. Who gave you this authority to come in here and do all what you are doing? Jesus said, I've got no ID. I've got no passport. But you destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it. Responding to their request for an ID. Again, he overturned their understanding. It has taken us 46 years to build the temple, and you are telling us that you're going to raise it in three days. Angrily, they challenged him. Of course, the temple Jesus was talking about was just talking about the temple of his body, offering his life for all, knowing that his death on Good Friday will put an end to temple-focused animal sacrificial worship. And so, friends, as I conclude, as Jesus was deeply concerned about the purity of the temple. We are to honor and to respect the sacred space in our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20 tells us that our bodies, each and every one of us, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You know how serious that is? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, let us strive. Let us strive daily to keep ourselves pure. Strive daily to keep ourselves holy, to identify and to remove and to delete all those things in our lives that hinders our relationship with God. It is my hope as I finished that our passage from the gospel today, but also the one we had from Corinthians, 
may inspire us to copy Jesus' example of cleansing the temple physically, but also cleansing our own body, the living temple. In a moment, we are going to sing, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, to affirm the reality of a God who calls us and who promises to guide us in our work for restoration, in our work for justice. He has promised He will guide us. He will be with us every step of the way. The God who provided for the Hebrew people wandering amidst barren land with bread of heaven is still and ever will be a God of provisional grace. So with these words of assurance, let us go forth from this act of worship with a spiritually renewed hearts and minds committed to living our lives as Christ-like example in this world that is deeply in need of divine cleansing. The word of the Lord. Amen. We stand together now to sing, remembering God's provision, remembering God's assurance to 